Welcome to the Trevor Turnbull Show, where you'll hear vulnerable, honest stories that will inspire you to embrace your mess and live your best life. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. This is part two of a two-part series in an interview that I did with my longtime best friend, Mike Olasky. So if you didn't listen to the first episode, make sure you go and check out that one as well. But to give you a little insight into what Mike and I dove into here today, we really talked more about his Rehabit project and some of the life events that have led up to his inspiration and being able to create this and to have it be something that not only serves him and his own journey of redefining and recreating some of the habits that he has on a daily basis and the things that will allow him to live his greatest life, but also creating the tools to empower other people to do the same. And we really dove back into, you know, 10, 15 years ago to a time when, you know, we were just exiting our first business together. And Mike, in this case, was actually um, venturing outside of where we originally grew up, which was in Saskatchewan. He had moved to Vancouver I came to visit him in the late 2000s and, you know, just some of the things that we experienced at the time, the limiting beliefs, for example, you know, we talked about eating kimchi for the first time, which if you're not familiar with, is like this fermented uh, spicy cabbage, this Korean food that both of us looked at at first and said, no way, I'm not eating that. And eventually started to realize that some of these things that you know, we had these preconceived ideas that we weren't going to like ended up being things that we actually loved. And there's a lot of takeaways from that for all aspects of experiences in life and just how we show up and being able to see things in a different way. And, you know, we dove deep into talking about the subconscious mind, the conscious mind, the superconscious mind, and how that plays a role in how we show up in our daily lives and just our overall commitments um, you know, both of us to living our greatest lives and, and to thinking differently and to really expanding our minds. And, you know, we talked about relationships. We talked about our experience with personal development and some of the things that we've both done over the years. Again, Mike had a huge influence on me in exploring some of these avenues, like, you know, learning about Joe Dispenza and learning about uh, Life Book, which of course is a program that's uh, underneath the umbrella of Mind Valley, a very influential program uh, that both my wife and I have gone through in the last year. And we just talked about all of these things and how all of these experiences have shaped us to get to where we are today. And my intent with doing this interview again is to bring somebody on in one of my very first interviews to not only introduce you to Mike, because I believe he has a lot of value to offer the world and you know you're going to learn a lot from him he's building tools and systems and and you know different applications that will help you be the greatest version of yourself but to also just have a vulnerable honest conversation about the messy journey to actually get to where we are today and the honesty of the fact that neither one of us have all this figured out but we are committed to being the greatest versions of ourselves and hopefully inspiring you to do the same. So let's go ahead and give this episode a listen. Welcome back to the show, Mike. I'm proud to say that you are my first multi-episode guest, even though you're my first guest. We had a lot to talk about and we had to end the last one. So here we are again. Excited to talk a little bit more with you. Yep. Um, I am, I'm probably the first for a lot of things since I'm your first guest. (laughs) 
Exactly. And I know when we ended off on the last discussion we were going through, I was telling you about my chronological timeline of events and things that I can recall. And I've actually added probably three or four since we chatted last time. So lots of stuff to dive into here today. But the first thing that I wanted to kind of get into, just because I want to introduce this to anybody that's listening, and then we'll allow this to kind of lead our conversation. But maybe tell everybody and talk to me about your project, your your passion that you're working on right now, which is Rehabit. So just give me a little context as to what is it? Why did you decide to start it? And then we'll kind of see where it takes us. Yeah, sure. Yeah, just just to close the loop from our last call, I did drill down on that a little bit in our last first segment of the interview. Uh, but just to refresh everyone's minds, uh, Rehabit for me, <laughs> you know, I've kicked around a lot of different initiatives. Like what is going to be the thing that can keep me really inspired for a long, long time and allows me to explore areas that will keep me inspired, you know, about a billion business ideas later. <laughs> and after navigating through my dad's passing uh, with leukemia, and which was gradual and, and uh, difficult, and my mom's passing from, I think, a heart attack, which was sudden in the shock of night across the Atlantic Ocean, I got a Skype call. And it's funny, I, to bring them up, it doesn't seem like why I would is the origin story for this project because it isn't in its entirety, um, but it is in its sort of beginning and ending aspect. Like my dad was all about habits, even though he didn't have the best habits, (laughs) but he was all about them. He just, Michael, it all comes down to habits, 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 habits. And so whatever good habits I have probably came from my dad. He had a work ethic and he had some systems to him and he he really cared about the the idea of of crafting a personal routine and behavior but my mom was in the rehab of all things um i don't know if you can be in the rehab but that's what she did and she was a a missionary of sorts she would just support people who needed help very often they were had addiction problems she had this building which i now own and um where people come to uh, just rest and she would provide shelter for them and coach them through their addictions. Um, Her take on it was through a Christian approach, but she had this sort of interesting approach to Christianity as well. Putting that aside, because that's a big subject in itself, watching my dad die and having him a hard, having, having seen him have a hard time changing his behaviors And in the course between my mom passing and my dad passing, having going through my own life-changing events, and I think I've shared with you a few of the life events that rehab is built around based off of this model called Holmes Ray. It's um, an index of uh, events that happen in one's lives, and they're ranked according to the severity of the impact it has on people's lives. And I, I went through this checklist one time, not long after my mom died, and right when my dad was diagnosed, and I, I was like, ugh, ugh, checking these boxes. Like I had nine out of the top 11 and I was like, it's no wonder I'm struggling so much. Um, and what that did actually was alleviate a lot of the pressure right off the bat. I was like, ugh, I'm, I'm not 
failing at life here. Just life is pretty difficult sometimes. And, you know, we talked about cannabis uh, over the times and, uh, and the yeah. use in psychology nowadays, um, psychedelics, um, but also Eckhart Tolle and mindfulness and all these techniques, a million of them in between. And I just really have a passion for how change can take place in someone and how we can stop being so afraid of change and stop judging ourselves so harshly, which prevents us from having change and, and breaking down the, the um, stigma of where most of this change fails, which is in our mental health, and also breaking down the stigma of the disparity of mental health and physical health, because frankly, it's a continuum and mental health is on the front end of it, <laughs> in my view. And, and so you can't separate the two. They need to be treated as one. And we treat mental health illnesses like depression and anxiety, like something other than what a flu or a cold is. And really that's all they are. And, and then therefore it creates these dis imbalances in our psychology, in our, in our self-view, in our worldview, where all of these problems are born from and our inability to handle the life changes as well, to double down on the tragedy of you know, the human condition. So I know that's a lot, but it is a lot. And, and so like for a couple years, I've been kicking around this project, Rehab It, and I've been thinking about like trying to work through my community with Master Cleanse. And I broaden that to be Master Cleansing. And the Master Cleansing has 12 cleanses. And those cleanses started to include things like the Pain Body Cleanse, which I launched two years ago. It's all psychosomatic mind-body conditioning around chronic pain disorders. The Master Cleanse, of course, is a physical cleanse, a body cleanse. And then I was getting to the mind-body cleanse and then the immunity cleanse and the lifestyle cleanse, about six other cleanses. And then the lifestyle cleanse and the rehab, it sort of came together as one. And uh, they're sort of part and parcel, um, almost like joint ventures in a way. But I really wanted to uh, figure out, not even figure out, just allow myself to um, experience change in a profound way and see if I couldn't create, put my past experiences in this digital content programmatic world to use to try to capture, you know, the leading um, ideas into a platform, into a program that would be my expression of my experience first and foremost, and hopefully that can serve other people as well. And that alleviated some of the pressure for me of number one, of being on camera, trying to change myself and like sharing pictures of my poo or whatever it is that I happen to be doing. And also the pressure to actually become something like, you know, so many of the channels you were talking about branding and packaging your show as we do professionally. But so many of these channels, they come in after they've had their win and then they tell their origin story and then it makes everything so much easier to unfold from there. But I'm starting from like the ground zero and saying like, I haven't won anything, you know. So this is just me, just Mike, uh, trying to change my life um, and figuring out a way that'll work for me to do it. And on the big side of things, um, rehab it. It's got a few methods throughout it, but one of them, the most the most um, fundamental one, 
is that it's about your subconscious mind, your conscious mind, and your super conscious mind. So for any life change to occur, number one, you have to make sure your subconscious mind is programmed to allow that change to occur. Otherwise, it's going to keep on pushing you back to status quo because change is risk to the subconscious mind. And so the subconscious mind, as soon as it recognizes change, it says, nope, it's uncertain. We're not sure about that. Go back to what you used to do. That's certain, even if it's killing you, right? We know that that is working. (laughs) It's killing you slowly. What you're going to go do might kill you quickly. So you got to make sure your subconscious mind is reprogrammed. And we know how to reprogram our subconscious mind. it's, It's a known quantity. It's just not taken up into society very much. Uh, And it's starting to more rapidly, law of attraction. um, And I've talked about it earlier, scientific prayer. That's subconscious mind. The conscious mind, um, the one that we think about all the time, um, obviously power now is really important and being in this moment. And that conscious mind is all about this moment. And that moment is the decision between A and B or one and two or zero and one rather. Um, And it's always dividing. It's always a decision. And I swear to God, we're on this earth only to do one thing, which is to like, just keep banking data in like what decision we made and a result. That's it. (laughs) We're like chewing through a data uh, set of uh, algorithms uh, in order to feed a machine in some some, uh, program. And uh, But in any case, what we can do with that precious current moment is fortify ourselves to be able to make better decisions. Um, People talk about what you put into your field. Like if you're listening in your ear all day long about Trump news, when you could be listening in your ear all day long about, you know, how it feels to love yourself, (laughs) you know, as fundamental as that, you're, you're more likely to have this noise, anxiety, tension that they're baking into all that messaging. So you need to be able to find a way to fill your field up with things that will allow you to make better choices. Joe Dispenza talks about doing things like brushing your teeth with the wrong toothbrush or driving a different way to work. Those conscious decisions, again, decisions in your conscious moment, tell your body, your subconscious mind, and your higher self, your creative mind, that you are committed to the change you want to make. And therefore, your programming opens up and the skies start opening up. Things start happening. So by creating the opportunity to make better choices in your current moment, that's what your conscious mind programming is about. And uh, that's very much about building routines, finding great resources, um, even like having like a steady feed of great films. I own a domain name, Only Great News. Uh, And my idea back then, this was like 20 Mm. years ago I bought it, was... I want a feed of only great news. Tell me what's happening, but tell me in a way that makes me feel good about what's happening, right? And so wouldn't that be great if we had that resource or our Netflix was only great movies or um, only things that make you laugh or only things that fill you up with uh, compassion? Um, So that's the conscious mind. How do we fill our field up with that? How do we enable our choices to be better when we're in the trenches of the moment? And then the super conscious mind is, I talked about earlier, is is scientific prayer, Um, higher self, um, your creative self. And that's all about a vision of the future. And, you know, vision is one dimensional because it's more than just a vision. It's a vision plus emotion plus action was what creates a really profound objective, a big, hairy, audacious goal. And it doesn't even have to be big and hairy. It doesn't have to be Costa Rica. It can be things like 
you know, a pair of shoes that you want. But by getting present, getting focused, thinking about what you want, articulating in a way that tells you and your full self what you want, you have a higher probability of attracting that into your life, especially when combined with that, you're filling your field with things that support the change that you're trying to make and you're reprogramming your subconscious mind to uh, let go of whatever's holding you back. Um, so that's rehabit. That's the, the general method. And then there's a smaller specialized method for the subconscious mind, which is where I, I, I like to start. And that is um, repetition, hypnosis, and biohacks. Um, and all three of them are known, scientifically proven, to be able to access the subconscious mind. Um, I'm not going to get too deep into all of that. But those three techniques is what we lean heavily on. Even in spaces of the superconscious and the conscious mind, you can still use repetition. You can still use hypnosis. You can still use biohacks in all those ways to impact those three minds. But there's other tools for the subconscious mind, like being resourced and having a team around you, having a community, having a feed of positive information and energy, and then tools to be able to journal and craft your future self. Uh, we talked about prescribing these little you know, snapshots of, of future potential outcomes that you can build a, a script in your head about and feel the energy of having it happen for you. And then um, just the act of doing that and looking at it and writing about it is the action taking in the step of that direction is sufficient to get started, but do other things like, you know, buy a uh, little Hulu girl doll if you want to go to Costa Rica or a little, <laughs> or buy a surfboard and a wetsuit, even though you live in Saskatchewan, right? Like yeah. there are things you can do to show the universe, to show yourself um, that this is actually what is going to happen. You're commanding it. You're not leaving it up for chance. This is a clear intention. And that's really what sits at the heart of the, the super conscious mind. So was that a, a lot or? <laughs> no, that's perfect. That's exactly uh, the direction I was hoping you would go with that because obviously rehabits a name, right? And I've known Mike for 25 years now. And in the time, probably in the last 15 years or so, since we've been kind of in this online space and building businesses and launching things and, you know, doing some and leaving others behind and everything else, you are definitely somebody that has a lot of ideas and also a lot of really great ideas. But I know we've had conversations over the years too, where I've even seen things happen where I'm like, Mike and I talked about that in 2006 and now it's 2020 and that thing happened, you know, like I'm sure you've had numerous moments like that over the years and we can get into that, but a couple of things that came to mind, I'm glad that you, you know, went that deep on what it is and the, and the vision and the mission for it and what, how it'll serve you first and foremost. But we talked about this. If anybody listening to this one missed the first episode, go back and listen to it for sure. Cause there's a lot of foundational stuff that, that, um, that we talked about. But one of the things I mentioned was I listened to an interview by Tim Ferriss with Brene Brown the other day. And he was asking, or he was telling his girlfriend that he was interviewing Brene Brown that day. And she like, you know, jaw to the floor, like, oh my God, Brene Brown. And he's same thing with another woman in his lobby. And, and he asked her the question, why do you think that is? Why are people just like completely, you know, stargazed whenever your name comes up? And she first said, 
I don't know. I, I really don't like I because you can tell that like, she's such a vulnerable, authentic, down to earth kind of person. She's very smart, obviously, because she's a scientist. But eventually she said, you know what? I think I know what it is, actually. It's because life is hard. Like life is fucking hard. She said it like, on his podcast. too. She's like, it's hard, you know, and it's messy and it's ugly. And I tell the truth. She says, there's days when I hate my husband and my kids, but you know what? I love them too. And this duality that exists and all of these things, right? So the thing I'm getting at with that is just the willingness to tell the truth and the story is, is half of the journey to get us to where we ultimately think we want to be, right? That's one piece of it. So that's why I'm glad we're having this conversation. It's another reason why I decided to have you as our my first guest too. And then the other things that came up too was just these pre-installed habits or ways of thinking or beliefs that come way back into childhood, right? And, you know, you and I grew up in Saskatchewan, which anybody listening, if you're not familiar, it's like prairie life, middle of Canada, super hot and dusty in the summertime and super cold and just hockey in the wintertime. And I know for a fact that like the things that you talked about with your dad, like I wouldn't say every Saskatchewan kid, but pretty much every kid learns the the value of hard work, right? Because that's literally how people were raised back in the day. It's like we were all farmers, right? You had to work hard or else you didn't survive. And that definitely came with us. But also with that came a, I would, I want to say like a, a limited mind that wasn't able to see beyond outside the borders of the province that we lived in. And I, I know for me, Around 2007, 2008, when this internets and social world started to exist, that was my big aha moments, man, was, you know, starting to use Twitter, for example, and reaching out to people that I aspired to connect with and having them respond to me almost instantly. And I still remember to this day, Kathleen Hessert, when you and I did our sports trip back in 2009, I reached out to her as like a thought leader in the sports industry on the media side of things, because she was like one of the first uh, sportscasters for NASCAR back in like the 70s, which was like pioneering in itself, like a female reporter in NASCAR, like it was just unheard of. But I, when I did my research on her and I was like, she's my topic expert to bring on to talk about the impact of social media and the sports industry. And I pinged her. She got back to me in like 20 minutes. She's like, I'd love to be on your webinar. And I was like, whoa, okay my world just changed. And it was a belief change. That's all it was. It was just like, I can expand outside of this province and build a life for myself. There's people that think the way that I do. There's people that think differently than I do that I want to think like. And that was a major, major shift for me. And I'll say one more thing, and then I'll let you respond to some of these things. But you know, talking about the subconscious and the conscious and the superconscious, I've been diving a lot more into this lately. And I know Back in the early or mid-2000s when we had our business and you had Freedom 35, which of course we talked about in the last uh, last interview, and then Costa Rica as a grounding place of where you wanted to be because of just, you know, the environment, the lifestyle, the surfing, the, you know, working remotely, all that kind of stuff. That's on my vision board right now too. Like I will be moving our family down within the next year and a half, you know, assuming that some other life situation doesn't happen. And if it does, so be it. That's, it's meant to be, but that's the intention right now. And I know it is for you too, whether it's Costa Rica or some other sunny place, it's just a place to put your face in the sun and get in the water. Right. But 
you know, I just bought a stand-up paddleboard and it was for that exact intention that you just said, which is A, I want to enjoy the water here while I'm in Kelowna, but B, I also want to stand up on that board and picture myself on a wave. And I want to get my kids on that board and have them stand up and and shake it a little bit and get them feeling what it's like to build that muscle memory and stuff, you know, because then I know that when we land there, it's not going to be, hey, kids, there's the ocean. You want to go in? This is a surfboard. Like they're going to be instilled in that early and we're doing it in, you know, it's not total flatlands here, but there's no waves here. I'll tell you that for certain. We're just going to build that conditioning and that's all subconscious, like you say. Well, the artificial wave industry is maturing rapidly. Mm. Um, there will be wave parks all over the place and frank thankfully they won't always be as expensive as they are right now even personal but, pools i've seen videos lately of like people having wave pools in their backyards like for anybody yeah. to get right i mean there's something about like learning to surf on the ocean and just harnessing nature like that is something else but once you're a surfing and it i mean even i did wake surfing in saskatchewan with my friend behind his boat and i was like yeah i could do this all summer it's pretty pretty right on and there are um overhead barrel wake boats now like crazy well i think i wanted to go go back to the beliefs uh the the point about beliefs uh because it's so fundamental to uh program rehab and just the work i'm going through in fact i just finished working on a document for my assistant um for this app uh, for this idea I have for biohacking your beliefs, basically. So I'm in Slovakia. I need to learn Slovak. And I'm building this database of affirmations to put into my ear when I'm falling asleep and waking up because your, your brainwave state is in theta at that point. So it's very suggestible. And so when you're waking, you're in alpha or beta, and you know it's, it's not as accessible as your subconscious mind, but your brainwave do modulate. But there's another uh, aspect of laying down a neural network that provides a framework for your thinking patterns. And so that's why Joe Dispenza says in Break and Have a Being Yourself and in a ton of talks he gives is like, when you're trying to change, if you can do a bunch of changes at the same time, you will basically put down a framework, a, a lattice, a scaffolding for your new neural network to build. So when you're learning anything, there's for the first time, there's two little friendly neurons that want to go and connect, right? And when they do, great. They fire together, they wire together. And the more times you fire them, the more they wire, the thicker the connection. And sooner or later, that becomes personality over time, right? And belief. So when you're brushing your teeth with the wrong hand, you're actually building another neural neck. You're doing the same thing, two little buddy neurons. And so this neural, neural lingo thing I, uh, I'm building is uh, along the nine uh, these different journeys, the 12 journeys of rehabit uh, with these life events. And one of them is about, in fact, just building beliefs. Um, and, and for me, because I, I rejected my mother's version of Christianity and in fact, Christianity, Christianity as a general belief structure, I was longing for a belief structure because I was left with like agnosticism. I don't even know how to say that that way. Being agnostic, I would say to people, I'm agnostic, which means I don't know. 
I don't, I'm not atheist. I definitely think there's a God, there's a thing, there's a machine, there's a guy playing a video game or something, but I don't know what it is. So I'm agnostic. But that left me with a hole in faith. So I didn't know what to have put my faith in. Is it my body that I put faith in? Is it the universe? Is it like, what is it? So for me, building faith has been a big part of my journey. It's been a soul journey. So this um, Neuralingo program that I'm developing basically is it takes the top thousand words in the language, um, really any language, but there's variants on the languages. And then the top 100 phrases that people use in day-to-day language and then compares a set of affirmations against that those words, identifies the percentage of, of how many of those words are being used. And if you're at like 80%, great. If not, write some more affirmations. Get up to 95% of the words you're going to need to learn. And then um, I'm having my Slovak assistant uh, help me on a Zoom call just like this. And I'll say like, how could it get any better than this? Which is um, not a Brene Brown saying, but um, another uh, thought leader. And in Slovak, she would then tell me how to say that. And then I would say it. And then she'd correct my pronunciation until I get it right. And then when I get it right, I had it recorded. And then in post, I'll chop it up so that I have me saying it in English, me saying it in Slovak. And then I'll do that for all 50 affirmations. And then when I'm falling asleep or when I'm brushing my teeth or doing other things that are creating a different neural network because I'm doing them differently, I will be laying down a new neural network from the language being acquired that will be carrying with it like a Trojan horse all the positive affirmations. I've never heard anyone do that before, but I'm doing that because it's really interesting to me. It seems like it could work. So I'm going to give it a shot. Now, one of the beliefs I'm trying to instill in myself is that I'm not an imposter. And I had the same uh, breakthrough moments with for myself when I started reaching out to guests to try to get them, you know, to interview the master cleanse. I got the two thought leaders there. I interviewed them and I just, you know, presented my opinions on the work. But then through the other launches we've done, we've got some really big names like John Asaroff and um, Les Brown and... Uh, you know, just really great speakers, Gabor Mate. And, and um, you know, when you approach somebody, even at that level, their likelihood to say yes is far better than you could ever imagine. And then if you come with any kind of references, or uh, it, it goes from zero to 90 pretty quick. But to that end, one of the reasons why I'm baking into, and there's two big reasons why I'm baking into the Rehabit and Lifestyle Cleanse model is this mentorship sort of challenge model where there's uh, a three speakers on one subject, each with their own approach to that subject on a day. And then day two, three speakers, day three, three speakers, day four, day five, day six, day seven. And at the end of the seven-day mini summit, who has presented 21 different techniques to a broader change, you know, methodology and topical um, you know, subject, the audience can then say, and us as the producers say, we challenge you, the audience, to pick one of these things to do for 30 days. You're going to pick one window of opportunity to develop one very simple routine. And we want you to do that for 30 days. Get in our community. Tell us what you did. Tell us how you failed. Tell us how you won. Let's celebrate your failures and your wins. Let's build a community of resources around you to support the fact that you have made a change. 
And that wind structure creates more neural networks and more dopamine, you know, opportunities. And that's how change really happens is when you get the support and the positive feedback loop of making um, the action, showing up, seeing a result, and then doing it over and over and over again. And it doesn't have to be huge. You don't have to make a change like, I will never yell at my kid again. Because God, that's the worst, isn't it? Like when you just lose patience and you yell at your kid who is literally the reason to live (laughs) right, right now. And then you beat yourself up over it and you think like, how could I be that person? And oh yeah, it's a vicious loop for sure. Every parent can relate. You can certainly have that as your goal. But for me, some of those changes are just simply like, make my bed. Like Mm -hmm. uh, The Miracle Morning, Hal Elrod. Great book. Uh, He's got a morning routine. And the first one is make the bed. And it's not even actually part of his savers um, mechanism, uh, which is all like writing and reading and exercising and meditation and affirmations and stuff. But it really, because Erica, number one, that's one of the things she really beat me up over is like, make the bed. <laughs> I'm like, no, I don't want to make the bed. But it, it puts a stake in the ground in that window, in that routine window um, to say, I did that today. I did it yesterday and I did it 40 days in a row. I can do it. I can do something 40 days in a row. Wow. It wasn't huge, but it was a win. And then I can stack on that making my bed with like, go for a quick meditation as soon as I make my bed. For me, it's make the bed, go drink water, go meditate. That's my little triangle now. And and so those master habits can be really simple. Make the bed or whatever you're doing all the time anyway, or wish you could do all the time anyway, that really don't make a huge difference in your life. You can snowball around with your habits. And then I just talked for a whole long time again. No, that's perfect. Cause it actually, it brought me down a few different paths of trying to think, where should we go from here? Cause there's a bunch of things. Here's where I want to go. Let's talk about your relationship with Erica, how you met her, how that's actually influenced some of the pieces to get you to where you are today, because you just referenced something that I know you and I can spitball on for a while. Cause you know, Char is very, um, how do I say she has very specific, uh, demands when it comes to like cleanliness and putting things away and making beds and that type of thing. And I've kind of brushed it off for the longest time too, but you know, in the context of what you just said, and maybe this is just part of the the key is to just reframe it. It's like, oh, I don't want to make my bed. But if I do it as an exercise of building a habit to be able to reprogram myself that allows me to live my greatest life, I'll do that, you know, making the bed though, eh, not so much. But yeah, let's talk about Erica, because I actually wanted to go down this path too. So you guys met on a SkyTrain in Vancouver, right? And this was like end of 2008, nine, somewhere in there. It was definitely before the Olympics, right? Trying to go back. Well, it was before we, before I moved back from Vancouver to Saskatoon with you to start one website. But so that would have oh, been- Oh yeah, so it would have been earlier than that they didn't. That, that would have been 07, I think we met. But it might've been February 08, it's hard to remember February 07 or February 08. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we met on a sky train. I'm not going to tell this story very long. It's a, it's a cute little story, but back in those days, I, I, uh, smoke a joint, get my camera, walk around Vancouver. I just freshly landed in Vancouver for a year. I love the city walking around, f- taking photos. 
And so that day was Chinese New Year and I was out in Chinatown and I got up on the SkyTrain platform. I was going to go from Chinatown to downtown. And actually I have this picture um, up in one of my albums here of the SkyTrain uh, train that I let go because mm-hmm. I, I can't remember why actually right offhand, but I let that one go. I chose to not get on it. I think I had to do something with my camera or something. And then I got on the next one. And as I got on, I saw her, she saw me. We had those sort of that common, you know, connection exchange of looks or whatever. But I had been walking the streets of Vancouver for months and like thinking I might meet someone like developing like little lingering look techniques because I'm pretty shy in some ways, I guess. But in this case, so we sat in the SkyTrain, we went one station, two stations, and we're not very far. And the whole time there was this tension of like, are we going to talk? Are we going to look at each other? Nothing <laughs> happened. We got off the train, walked along beside each other, and then up the huge escalator. Like it's 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 an amazing escalator, actually. It's so long. The one at Granville? Didn't, yeah, didn't say a word to each other the whole time. And then um, as we uh, got off at the top of the escalator, I had... Uh, uh, decided to stop and shoot that escalator to see what it would be like. And she walked away and no, nothing happened. But even though we had that tension on the train, on the escalator ride, I just, yeah, you know, one of those things. And then I got walking towards uh, one direction um, to um, English Bay. And she went apparently another direction towards uh, down Granville Street. And we both walked two blocks in either direction. And then we both stopped for some reason, turned around and came back to where we were, which is where we crossed each other's paths again on Granville. Um, And so as we did, we stopped and turned around and looked at each other and said, you want to get coffee? And we did. We went for coffee and she got some Hmm. soup and I had a carrot cake. And that really... (laughs) That seems appropriate too. It is appropriate. Soup (laughs) And carrot cake. Like, I am a carrot cake, basically, and she is a soup. And she is, um, you know, a a little bit of a soup Nazi, too, right? Like, (laughs) no soup for you. Yeah. I mean, she'll always make a soup. With the bad making. And she's really good at making soup, just so everybody's clear. And she really is. But she'll always make a soup. Yeah, she won our inaugural soup off. Uh, that we had at our old place, which was right across the street from where you used to live, actually. In actually, she didn't win the inaugural one. She won the second annual. Oh, did she? Oh, yeah. She came final. in as a ringer and just totally, totally destroyed everybody that was there the year before. Well, we, we were in the inaugural, but she lost it to um, the tortilla soup, I think. Oh, um, yeah, that's right. She didn't, it. she didn't win it. But anyway, Erica would always make a soup, even if she's mad at you. But she'll let you know she's <laughs> mad at you while making the soup. Well... I don't know how far I want to get into all that. Um, definitely, there's a lot going on there. You know, I, what aspect are you hoping to talk well, about? Maybe you can a couple of things. So, look a bit. It, yeah, it kind of brings me back just, just to kind of take us chronologically back a little bit. Because at that time, like 2007, 2008, you had just gone to Vancouver. Uh, you had obviously traveled a bit with like going to school in Michigan and stuff and being in Toronto granted growing up there a little bit, but you know, you stepped outside of the bubble that was Saskatchewan. And I remember I came and visited you right around that time. And I don't even know if you guys were together at that time, but you know, a perfect example of that was like, you know, you had a a condo that was close to that SkyTrain station you're talking about. And I remember you, 
telling me to try kimchi for the first time. And I was like, dude, you are insane. This stuff smells like garbage. It looks like garbage. I felt the same way when I, and then, you know, it was kind of, it's the, from the uh, perspective of beliefs, right. It was like, well, just try a little bit. No. Okay. So I actually came and visited you. I remember. And then came back the second time. I was like, you know what? I'll try the kimchi. And I was like, damn, this is actually pretty good. Right. Like just these little tiny neural network triggers that are like, Hmm, Maybe I do like things that I don't know exist. And anyways, that's kind of a side note to this. But where I wanted to go with Erica was there's no doubt that that time in your life and you meeting her even played a big part in the next, you know, well, 13 odd years now since then, right? Like, remember you and Erica and me living with you guys in Vancouver around the Olympic time. And both of you were very heavily into researching and understanding you know, the mind and personal developments. And of course, you know, over the number of years, there's been ups and downs. And I've talked transparently, not about everything, but I will more uh, going forward about some of those same things that Shar and I have gone through. But um, what kind of impact do you think Eric has had on you, you know, really leaning into rehabit right now, even too, and making it something that you're truly committed to seeing through and talking about vulnerably and honestly? And there's a lot of layers to that cake. It is a carrot cake. There's icing in between each layer, um, which is good because, you know, lots of fiber (laughs) in carrot cake (laughs) makes for great poops. Well, I'll tell you what, I don't, I don't know how to get into that without like spending a good amount of time providing context to why why it is uh, that the impact she's had on me has been as such that it has. Uh, I know that sounds evasive and it is a little bit. Let me see if I can answer that superficially, which is to say, I'm living in Slovakia. So there's a lot of functional change that came with our relationship and the birth of our daughter. You know, I intended to be barefoot and, you know, I don't know about naked, but barefoot and pregnant on the beach in Costa Rica. That was my vision. Um, And, you know, it didn't work out that way. And maybe it still could. She told me the other day, there was a picture of a wave on the beach. And she's like, she says to Grace, that I misses the beach, hey? And I said, and I just went, oh, yeah, you have no idea. Like, you have no idea how badly I just want to be living in somewhere like that. But, you know, life is full of choices and we make them for the better or for worse based off of the subconscious programs and our how resourced we are in the moment and how strongly the vision of our future is, you know, crafted or, or how clear that vision is. And, you know, the journey that I've been on with Erica outside of the challenges of just like navigating our differences as people and how we are as parents or where we want to live, um, how we feel about sunshine, you know, like those types of things I come, I think, with every relationship. But for me, what I've come to learn about personal uh, dynamics and family dynamics uh, as a course of my the study I've done um, and the life I've lived 
has really provided a, a great deal of context to the work I'm working on now. For example, um, when I was a child, when I was six months old, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And my dad was always a very fearful guy, still was to the end of his life, always worried about something and looking at himself, checking to see if he had a problem. He had a lot of anxiety, um, even though you might not see it on the surface. And my mom, when she was diagnosed, of course, everyone was really scared she'd pass away. And uh, there was a lot of tra uh, trauma in the household. So I didn't have a bonding um, with my mother. And also, she didn't really even want to be a mother, uh, if truth is uh, be told. And, and so I actually developed what I understand to be codependent issues, basically. I, I don't want to be alone. I, I don't like when people leave me. I don't like people when hang up <laughs> prematurely or, you know, get the sense that I did something wrong. Even though a lot of bravado and defense mechanism over the years I've developed to help mitigate that fear, it became clear to me that a lot of the choices I made along the way were born out of that um, codependency, that need to, to, to be needed. And, um, and Erica is very similar, but different, you know, life challenges. Uh, growing up in her family and watching her family dynamic here, both her parents are still alive, both born through communism. And what I've learned now, as I can hear her coming in, um, is that her foundational development from zero to seven compared to mine from zero to seven has created this, this really volatile um, potential relationship where she and I are both like not wanting to let each other go, but not quite fully allowing each other to be, um, you know, and we both, because she's, a, she's an amazing person. And, um, you know, she always had this um, layer of kindness to her that I just always could rely on. But over the years has developed um, her own resentments towards how her life has gone. And, and so myself as well included. And so now that dynamic is like, we believe that we need to stay together because we have a daughter, but we also believe that maybe we should be apart so we can be healthier on our own. And it's a very difficult decisions to make. I mean, we literally talk about it like, should we stay together? Should we, should we not? Um, what would it look like if we didn't? And Grace's first seven years are really important to me. And so I, because of my first seven years and laying down foundations for her. And so I want to be here with her every step of the way for her first seven years at least, and hopefully for the rest of her life. But at the same time, we don't want to be fighting and showing bad models and um, we want to be loving each other and showing good models. And, and so the outside of all the great little one-offs of life, like making great soups and being, you know, really kind um, and all the things that make Erica great, um, her compassion for her coaching clients and her anger at how shitty the world can be sometimes, um, put all that aside, I, I still think that the biggest impact uh, that is still happening on my life as a result of Erica is the 
the challenge to find a way to not only love ourselves individually, but as a result, create the space where we don't need to make demands on each other to fill our, our, the holes we have in ourselves. So the biggest challenge for me that I brought Erica into my life to reflect and show me is the hole in myself <laughs> that I need to soothe myself. It's no one else's job. It's not her responsibility. My anger is not my responsibility. My And no one, your parents, it's not even your parents. It's you. You're born into this world. You chose to come here. And so finding a way uh, to get there with her um, I keep reminding myself that um, we have such a foundation of common beliefs that if we can just give each other the space to be on this journey together, we'll be better for it than as opposed to having, you know, breaking apart and um, creating, you know, a different set of challenges. I don't know if that's true. I don't. It it could be that breaking might be better. Um, But the challenge would be the same regardless because it's not her, it's me. And it's not me, it's her. And so I'm hoping she's able to have that experience in that journey as well. And right now it's hard in quarantine, um, you know, trying to raise a six-year-old in the same apartment all the time together. <laughs> like, yeah. It's really hard. And um but we're both trying really hard um, and we're trying really easy too. like just trying to slow down, trying to let things go. And I'm pretty certain I'm going to want you to edit all that out because uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's too, it's too much, but it, it is real. Um, honestly, that's one of the battles I have with my rehab project is like, all right, am I showing up and I'm saying to everybody what I'm going through every day? Yeah, I, I guess I am. But, you know, you do need to stop short of like sharing your pictures of your avocado toast every morning, right? Like there is boundaries. There are boundaries. And I think it's healthy. I mean, I know it's healthy to establish boundaries, not only in your in yourself and what you will or will not do, how you want others to treat you, but also in a community context as well. Like I am not here to be laid bare. Um, but I am here to be um, transparent. And those are two different things. Because transparency is the, uh, I think, the revealing of, you know, energy, light to reveal a message that can be influential and beneficial. And it isn't just a wide open, clean slate. Because like, for example, if we had access to all of our brain's capacity to recall information or absorb input, like sounds and lights and everything, we would go insane. So you don't want full transparency on your entire spectrum of consciousness. That would be impossible for us to manage. And therefore, I feel the same way as it's important in the community as well. You got to have some boundaries. And it's been a struggle for me to decide what those boundaries are going to be. Um, because one of my issues is, is just, like I said, codependency. I'm afraid people will reject me. I'm afraid it will cost me somehow, <laughs> you know, 
And so yeah. I do need to navigate um, through how that, you know, impacts my life and um, whether it's serving me or not. And so at the end of the day, there are choices that need to get made. And I think what happens at some point is you put out something like this or you get three months down the road and next thing you know, you're in your underwear, pinching your belly and showing pictures of your poo. And you're a master cleansing, you know, expert apparently. And all of a sudden those boundaries come down, but going into it, you know, you think, all right, that's one aspect of my life, master cleanse, but life changing events is about all aspects of life. Like how deep am I going down this rabbit hole and how far, how many cameras will I have on me when I do it? And um, I think that's why I, to close the loop on one, something I said earlier about the, the, the experts is I don't want to be the expert, nor do I want to pretend that I am. I'm certainly willing to share the expertise that I picked up along the way. And perhaps that does make me an expert at some point in some things, but I'd prefer to stand on the shoulders of giants and to prop up, um, you know, uh, potential giants um, so that their voices are amplified and then also create a platform that allows people to resonate with different um, approaches because there's always going to be someone that's hating what I'm saying and there's always going to be someone that's loving what I'm saying and the challenge is for everyone who does this is to not take it too personal the things that people who hate you would say and also maybe not get too pumped up by the things that people say that would love you. My coach in Ferris used to say, Michael, you know, not too high, not too low. Um, and he's right. Well, I'll just say that uh, I appreciate you speaking about it in the context that you did and even the vulnerability of just having the conversation because I didn't ask the question with the intent on having you talk about something that we've discussed privately before that might feel a little uneasy. It was really just to start that conversation and I'll jump into the deep end with you here too. And we can talk later about whether or not that actually gets cut or not, but like, you know, my journey with my relationships too, we started the last interview with the idea that I've gone through two marriages. Now I'm on the second one here and my relationship with Char over the years has been up and downs as well like the, and it's all and again going back to like what you said though when i actually step back and take a look at what most of our conflicts come from, like where they come from and the root cause of it it's my own insecurity it's my own abandonment conversations and stories that i have it's my own wanting to be liked and feel safe and all of these things right and it and it projects out sometimes as just pushback and anger and why don't you understand me and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, my intention in asking you that question was, A, I love both of you guys and I want you to be happy. B, just like I said at the start of this about that Brene Brown interview, like one of the reasons that her message resonates, I think, is because the, the willingness to just tell the truth, even when it's ugly, even when you feel like Oh, too much. You know, I cracked. I'm showing, showing my poop pictures again. And anybody wondering what we're talking about with showing the poop pictures? Yeah. <laughs> Mike's uh, with his master cleanse website over the years has been the student, right? Like he's gone through the cleanse and there's a lot of pieces to it as far as like the juicing and the salt water flush and everything else. So that's the reference if you're wondering the poop analogies here. But um, yeah, and it kind of just comes back again to like beliefs, Mike, because 
the follow-up question I wanted to ask you on that is like, when you envision that future version of yourself and your relationship and with your daughter and everything else, like, what does that look like? What does it look like five years from now? I'm sure you've thought about this and, you know, to tell you transparently too, like Shar and I have talked about, do we see ourselves together in five years? I don't know. I don't know, but we do acknowledge the fact that like relationships are challenging. They're not always perfect. So we're definitely willing to fight through some of the challenging moments and, you know, even the big massive blowups that happen along the way and not take the easy route and just run away and think that it's better on the other side of the fence either. Cause been down that journey, both of us have before, right? It's, um, it's not the case. So, so what does it look like for you though, in five years? And, and I think the healing part of this and the trans, uh, the transparency of you being able to say this stuff out loud is just not with the intention to of like you being the face of rehabit or the experts, like you being one of the giants. It's not about that per so much as it is about releasing it for you to just be able to talk about it and say it out loud and make it real, make it feel real. Like, okay, I'll stop there. Answer my question. Where do you see yourself in five years? <laughs> well, you know, there's a reason why I'm uh, creating the community and the app to, to facilitate the community is so that I actually can resource myself and have some accountability. Um, the, the methods that I'm developing are plentiful. There's a, more than a few, and I'm not even, I'm, you know, I'm innovating on some spaces. I'm not inventing much. The, the neurolingo thing is, I would, I would wager to say, is somewhat of an invention, but most of the things are just <clears throat> reworkings of other techniques. And, and so the challenge has been like, okay, let's not go overboard. You can't go overboard. And, and this is one area where Eric has really benefited me on, on just a, a standard level and has impacted my life is she does act as a counterpoint to my tendencies. For example, I mentioned to you earlier with the YouTube channel, uh, Heather had some you know commitments that sort of made her feel a little anxious. Like that's like, you're not going to be able to do all that. I'm like, yeah, I can do it. I've been thinking about it. But it allowed me to re think it and, and absorb a new approach that I now like a lot better. And so I have been, um, it's almost like that movie, Pure Luck. I think um, Richard Dreyfuss is in it. And uh, he finds this guy who is so unlucky that the opposite of whatever he says is what will happen. And so he's like, who do you like? He's a, they're betting on horses. Who do you like in the fifth? And they're like, uh, you know, horse A. He's like, Good. Who else do you like? He just crosses them off. Eh? So I, that's the approach I've had a little bit lately is like, what would I do before? <laughs> and then I'm like, okay, do it the other way. But it is a practice every day. And it's a fucking hell of a time to find the time to practice. And that's why these little master habits and these little practice windows are so important because you can poke a hole into your reality put one little habit there and then just let the sunlight burst through until that becomes a full window. Right. And it, that space should end up dominating because that's what light does in a dark space, but you got to poke that hole. Um, like the holes to heaven in the sky, the, the um, old Hawaiian tale and Jack Johnson song, uh, you know, just that the stars are just a hole to heaven. And so while I am, 
developing a practice, I'm really far from having any kind of real practice. Like it's sporadic. Some mornings we wake up and there's pee everywhere. And, you know, Eric is mad at me right off the bat. And then I'm mad and then I'm calming down and I'm yelling at someone. <laughs> like, And then it's like, okay, I'm going to have a bath and I'll meditate in the bath. And like, you just try to find some way to get through the day. And while this, the visualize the lies journal that I'm developing to be able to prescribe, create these prescriptions, these, these intentions, these mood boards, vision boards, action boards, you know, that's a practice I want to develop, but I literally have only now once written in this book, even though I've got the, you know, it took me a year to get these little cards printed. Right. And then finally I wrote one journal entry. I'm showing everyone, um, these journals in the, 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 um, pillar, um, visions for the system. And so I guess what I'm saying is five years from now, I don't have that vision. What I do try to do though, is I actually don't put like a life book version of like one year, three year, five year. I think there's value to that, um, for some people and, and, and perhaps for everyone, I don't know, probably not everyone, but I haven't done that. And when I do do that, I create a blank, like five years from now, I started like doing some math, like it just sort of falls apart for me. And maybe it's because there's so much uncertainty with COVID and living in Slovakia and just the way it is in my world right now. But what I do do is these, um, uh, this lies journal is uh, create a, a potential um, experience that's um, nondescript in time. So the van, it could be tomorrow, it could be five years ago, it could be 10 years ago. That rap party, it could be tomorrow, probably not. It could be five years from now. It's pretty good five-year vision, right? Um, so if I went through there and I crafted like a, here's what my life looks like in five years, that might be a good exercise to do. But I haven't done it, so it's hard for me to say. But I will share that for me, it really is about day to day right now. Like, um, I want to start practicing this higher self practice because you can tell just by my answer, I, I'm, uh, I, that muscle has atrophied, right? Um, I do have a really strong creative mind in the moment ideas come, I'll capture them, I'll expand them, I'll set them aside. Some of them grow, like this rehabit project is occupying most of my creative vision, but I, I haven't been, well, to use the term conscious, I haven't been specific. I haven't been um, focused on that practice. So it's, it's tough to say. And, um, but I do know these pictures one of them, the most important one that I always go back to is me and Gracie on longboards Um as we walk down the aisle on an ocean party wave. Uh, so we basically surf up to <laughs> the um, altar, if you will. So we jump off our boards and I give her away and her wedding's on the beach. So what I love about that vision, um, and hopefully this answers your question, because I, I, I really get caught up in the concrete nature of like the, you know, the five-year plan. It's somehow just, doesn't hit me but that one i love because it's very much like the um the affirmation i share with you at the start of the first call which is about reality hacking and it's about trying to align with the future which is 
um, in a way that feels safe, which is also grounded in your root chakra, in the, the most primal part of your being. And it goes like everything is working out to my advantage. Uh, something amazing is happening for me now. Uh, I, I can't find that note right handy. But the reason I like his affirmation so well, and if you listen to his video, he actually goes into like every word choice being perfect in that affirmation to have no conflicts, to no little triggers pop up in your subconscious that would shake you. And what I like about the vision about Gracie is it has me alive and healthy and surfing. And it, 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 it's clear we've surfed a lot together, right? Because she's surfing and we're both good enough to be on a longboard on a party wave. And she's happy because she's getting married right? Yeah. And that's my predominant vision there. And of course, I include um, Erica in that wedding party. And, you know, I actually don't expand on it from there. And that's where my practice needs to, to take root is to like, okay, what more is there? What does it smell like? What does it feel like? And build that vision of the future for myself. And I guess really what that does is point um, towards a wish of not really what I think it will happen in five years, but what I hope will be is that, you know, we've settled into something that feels like a, a life to be enjoyed because right now it feels like a life to be survived. You know, um, yeah. maybe that's because of COVID or financial or just like, there's always a big challenge, like immigration, like a couple lawyers said to yeah. me, like, we need to make sure you're not going to get deported. And I'm like, uh, and that keeps me and Erica up for two nights. We're researching, like translating. And like, so, you know, you know, Erica gets really down about all the constant struggle of just being alive. Like, why is the system set up to be so difficult for people? Yeah, it's no doubt it's crazy times and it's contributing to that's what you talked about before, which is just the overall you know, awareness and people around mental health where it might've been a taboo topic before or something that only the woo-woo and people would go and research and, and, uh, and learn and put to practice themselves. But the language side of what you talked about there, I think is a critical component to it. And just so everybody's clear, that's listening to this, like Mike and I are not at all coming on this platform and saying that we got it all figured out. What we're saying is that we're students, like obsessed students of all aspects of this and how to be, you know, the greatest versions of ourselves. And in doing so, create, help other people become the greatest versions of themselves, including our family and our, and our loved ones and everything. And over the years, Mike, I know, you know, like this stuff didn't just pop into both of our heads to be able to have a conversation like this. There's been steps along the way. And I know, you know, you did, as did I, the MITT experience, which is master's in transformational training. And that was like 2014-ish. And then you introduced me to Lifebook. Um, I believe you were the first person to introduce me to it. And then I never really followed through on it until about a year ago. And then, of course, you also introduced me to Dr. Nima, which then led me down the path of like reading books like The Biology of Belief and Bruce Lipton. So like you it's the same context of how I got into entrepreneurship and business. You handed me four hour week, work week and said, here, think differently. And I was like, whatever, man, this is bullshit. You know, four hour work week, whatever. Right. And now we literally like have the intention on creating that in both of our lives. But 
it's just such an interesting topic to discuss and something that I don't think either one of us has the answer for, because when you throw in COVID and the limitations of travel and stuff, like Shar and I were both supposed to be in Costa Rica already like a year ago. We were going to go at this time last year to put our feet on the ground, get in the sand, feel what it's like there. Cause I've never been there. I'm just, I have it on my vision board of like, we're going, I have no idea if I'm even going to like it. What are the bugs like? You know, like, what about the wildlife? What about like all of these things that you just, you got to get there to really kind of experience it. Right. But I still keep saying to myself and I'm very, and, and I'm not perfect, but I'm creating the intention on like, we will be moving our family to Costa Rica within the next year and a half. Not I may, or I hope or anything like that. Like we will be doing this. And I'm always leaving it with a big asterisk of like, maybe it's not Costa Rica. Maybe it's you know, Malaysia, maybe it's Bali, maybe it's, I don't know. Right. But it's, it's this intention that there's this life that is kind of grounded for me in a couple of things um, physically. And that is sunshine and heat (laughs) and the ocean, right. Just knowing that we have very limited amounts of that in Canada and yeah, it's, I, I don't know. I just, I enjoy this part of the conversation and feel free to pick up on how maybe MITT or some of the things that have influenced you along the way to think that the way, the way that you do, because MITT is one, of course, Lifebook is another, all these books and access to videos and YouTube and stuff with all kinds of knowledge. Back in the day, I'm talking like, you know, late 2000s, I guess it was videos and YouTube back then too, right? But were you consuming anything prior to that too that was getting you just to think and see the world in a different way? And who were some of those people? Uh, We talked about this a bit on the last uh, segment uh, in the course of playing hockey there in 2000, um, senior hockey. I read a lot of books. It was books and what... (laughs) There was always a joint involved, it seems, but I would smoke a joint and go to the uh, bookstore. Um, Erica still loves to do this, not smoking a joint, but go to the bookstore. And I would walk around and um, I would just get a sense of where to go um, in the bookstore. Mm, You know, you don't, if you're not intending that to be what's guiding you, you might think, well, you just got up and walked and you ended up where you ended up, or unless you had a direct intention to get a specific book. But I was intentional about letting the energy take me. And then I would let a book stand out for me. And then I would um, see if it resonated and put it on my arm. By the time I had nine or 10 or 12 books in my arm, I'm full. And I'd go and sit down in a corner and I would power read the book. And that's a pretty simple technique, uh, at least initially to sort of scan it, like cover, inside cover, inside jacket, back jacket, back cover, um, table of contents, flip through each chapter, first paragraph, look for the highlights. Good. Okay. I think I understand what's in this book. And it takes about five minutes a book. And so I'd be there for an hour or two skimming through these books. And then I would choose three and take them home and read them. I'd do that like once a week or so. And, um, you know, they, they, the gauntlet of authors that you can imagine that might be influential, I've read the book or, or, or at least parts of it for sure. <laughs> and so there's a, there's a lot, a lot there. MITT was really influential. Um, but one of the very first books I read, wrote, read was Flow by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi. That uh, spawned the birth of my 
uh, well, holistic thinking, but also it may concrete my desire to marry science to um, fiction, if you will, or marry, marry science to religion, because mom, my mom's beliefs weren't enough for me. I had wanted to have something more. It just didn't seem right. Some of the uh, offloading of heavy thinking to faith, like... I used to say to my mom, religion is a lobotomy because you could, if you couldn't tolerate your prefrontal cortex, you could give it up to, you know, faith in God. Ugh, I guess God knows best or something, right? Mm. And now I actually think that's that's a really good way to be if you're conscious about it uh, and conscious about what choices you're giving it up and you're not um, having an intermediary in the form of a book or a person being your sort of dogma, a proxy. Uh, so if you actually can, you know, find a way when things are too much for you to to give that up, um, to let go, to surrender, surrender being one of the key principles in 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 this sort of um, you know mindfulness movement. I think um, Brene Brown talks about surrender uh, quite a bit, but um, the flow one because of hockey. I always got the sense that I could see the future. <laughs> um, and what gave me that sense was because you would be skating up the ice and a play would be developing dynamically. Everyone's skating 20, 30 miles an hour or so. Um, you know, there's people trying to hit you and, uh, you know, there's fears in your head about not fucking up or, but in the midst of that, if you're lucky, and I was lucky enough to have that uh, quite a bit, where all of a sudden you would see in the future this play that's developing. Now, it hasn't developed by any means. It might not, right? But you can see it as clear as day, this outcome that's 10 seconds away or five seconds away. And then you, in that split second, make a choice of what you need to do in order for to further potential of that vision. And then you execute that action. And it might be a series of actions like pass, skate, get it back, pass, skate, get it back, and score. And there were some goals that were literally pre-seen by myself that were nine plays, six plays, five plays that had to unfold in yeah. a way. Very often there was one or two plays, right? Like there's... I can see right now by how fast he's skating and by how slow that guy's going and where the goalie is that if I saucer it over there, it'll land right when he's about to be in front of the net and he can shelf it, right? Yeah. And that always fascinated me. It's like, you know, I don't think I'm um, some miracle genius to be able to see that. I think everyone sees that. But I think most people don't trust the vision or take totally. the action right? Yep. Or, or take the action. And in peak experiences, in peak moments of um, intensity, focus, intense focus, if you read the book, um, um, uh, Jamie uh, Whalen or uh, Wheel, Jamie Wheel, um, uh, I think uh, becoming, uh, what, what was it? Superman, Rise of Superman. They talk about peak experiences a lot. Well, that's what it's about. And they talk about having a risk factor and a, a extreme focus for being conduits for flow. And, you know, this is 25 years later. And the first documentary I wanted to make, uh, I entitled uh, Flow Zone. And I made little totems to myself that I, that's what I want to do. Yeah. I want to make 
films about these phenomenon. And I don't want them to be just documentaries. I want them to be feature films and episodes. And this is way before integrated media was ever an idea in my brain. But I just know I wanted to create. I wanted to bring to light these ideas and share how they actually help our lives. How can they help our lives? But, you know, as life went, you know, I techie, building web pages, coding, like, you know, budgets. Like there's so many things I do in 20 years of media that are not that. And I think that's probably the biggest dysfunction in my last 20 years is not honoring my instincts, my intuitions that I used to have in those peak moments in a more broader space where it's not as obvious the the play that's developing, right? On a sheet out ice that play you can see it in your head it's it's either this or i'm about to get let <laughs> and believe me there's plenty of visions where it's like oh fuck I'm, i just saw on a total side note i just found my gopro video from costa rica speaking of costa rica and there's this one video where i almost got killed and so i'm paddling and i'm paddling and i'm paddling i'm looking to the right to see if there is someone down uh, the wave and I didn't look to my left at all, which you, uh, it was, the wave was going right. And you got to look left because they got the priority. And all of a sudden you hear me go, Oh fuck. And uh, then this huge longboard goes right past the camera, right past my face. Like the guy literally ran up on my board right past my face. And those, the nose of that board, like most people die surfing, not from sharks, but from head injuries from the board. Right. And because you get knocked out and you drown. And so, you know, plenty of visions were like, oh, fuck, I'm in trouble here. (laughs) They weren't always these glorious five play maneuvers. But um, I think that Mihai Chick sent Mihai book, Flow, was the most uh, impactful for me because it sent me on this journey of like acquiring really interesting authors' perspectives on really interesting things. Well, on that note, like the, I think the willingness to just take the quote unquote risks is a big part of that, right? And obviously, when you throw in the factor of, you know, if you use hockey and surfing as two separate analogies for that, with hockey, there's an outside influence of like, will your coach put you on the ice and let you be that person? When you're on a wave, it's like you just get on a board and you go, right? Obviously, there's influence of the people that are around you on whether or not they're going to let you into a wave or whatever. But you know, the analogy that you're using there is kind of like the, the, the Gretzky quote, right? It's like going to where the puck's going to be, not where it is. And in the same context, like Wayne Gretzky scored a lot of damn points, but he also got leveled a couple of times, at least one. I remember the old Don Cherry, Rock'em Sock'em's, right? Like I think one guy leveled Wayne Gretzky and then never played another game in the NHL. But the point is, is like even the greatest fall right? Even the greatest make a prediction about something and they were wrong and they get hammered and hopefully they don't die from it. But, you know, the analogies here are still, I think, very relevant on that. And I was hoping you'd go down the path of like how that relates to the waves and and the flow state with all of that too. And and just trusting in yourself and the decisions that you're making and knowing that you won't always have all the answers. And some, some decisions are scarier than others because there's life and death situations or what we feel is life or death, like, you know, having a partner leaving you or you not being around uh, every moment to raise your, your daughter or something, right? It's, it's all tied together. It's about, and it's part of the reason why in my, 
mantra, I guess you'd say it for my podcast here. I talk about being grateful and being curious and being brave. Like the brave part is like, yeah, it's scary. No shit. Like everything that you do that's going to be about growth is going to scare the shit out of you. And if it doesn't, you're not thinking big enough. So I use that to remind myself and hopefully it ends by other people to do the same. And just having the willingness to speak out loud about this stuff, Mike, is really what I intended on this interview being about. So, cause you don't know the certainty of any of these things you're talking about. You don't know what's going to happen with rehabit or what's going to happen with your own habits or what's going to happen with your relationship or if things are going to work or they're not going to work, but whatever it is, it's, it's going to be perfect, you know? So I just wanted to acknowledge you for that, man. And, um, uh, Let's put a wrap on this one here because I think we went in depth on a lot of things. And we also brought up, I think, probably 10 topics that we can spitball on in the future too. And the last thing, and I'll, I'll give you the last word here, is to just say that by speaking about this stuff right now with the unknowns in the future, that is also part of my intention here is to talk about things where your answer is like, I don't know what my five-year plan is, but here's my intention. And this is what I am committed to creating. And then we'll get to see it unfold. And it's almost like a layer of accountability of like, well, that's in the universe. You know, just the fact we talked about it and it's recorded. It's in the universe. Whether or not it gets published publicly is another thing. But regardless, it takes bravery to take that leap. So, Well, thank you. Uh, save your appreciation for post-edit. I might not let <laughs> you publish anything. Um, but, you know, this whole process is obviously... Um, a learning process for you, you know, what kind of questions to answer. I might not be the best example of a subject, um, but maybe, maybe I am. It's pretty typical for how people might um, maybe be evasive or um, scared to talk about certain things. You know, I'm contemplating and manipulating the whole time, creating persona um, for your audience and my, myself and my view of your audience about myself in the moment that I'm speaking almost every word I'm saying. <laughs> it's in the I back do, of your head, right? You're thinking about it. I do get into the flow of once I'm like, ah, oh, fuck it. I'm down a path. We'll see where it goes. But I certainly am teeing it up a bit. And that is part of my, um, my journey is to have faith in my decisions and it's it's part of my journey in having faith in in the uh, the choices I make, uh, the outcomes that come, uh, being what they need to be. Now, on the surface, I do do that, I do practice that, but that my daily experiences of um, a certain um, palpable uh, tension of, about the potential impacts of any one decision. And, and so, you know, some conversations are more fraught <laughs> or uh, ripe with, um, you know, both uh, challenge and opportunity at the same time. And others seem inconsequential. But if life is a sum of all your decisions, um, and I'm not saying that it is, but if you want to pretend it is for a minute, then it feels like each decision is pretty important. But... I don't think that's actually the way to go. I think the way to go is to let go. If I'm anywhere in five years, what I'd like to do, like what I'd like to see is that I am in a place of having that flow where 
uh, that tension is 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 less dominant and and I feel a sense of relaxed comfort and ease more often than not it's okay she's fine I, I prefer to have her in it than the recording of the struggle to have her not in it you know what I mean <laughs> Grace she's okay she's okay yeah it's totally fine I'm 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 doing an interview with Trevor hi Trevor hi Grace it's okay Oh, that's a nice star in your hair. I don't know if you can hear me. No, she can't hear you. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a good way to to wrap us up, though. I think, um, yeah, there was a lot of good conversations that went down different paths here. And, and I think I understand exactly what you're saying of like that future world where, you know, some of the things that seemingly feel like a struggle right now or the stuff that just feels heavy and maybe doesn't have you in, in that dream vision world of, you know, us doing this interview, both in our sandals down at the beach, it will be like that. And it, and, and, and it will be that, that way in my vision, it's, it's within the next couple of years. I don't know if you see it yet, but um, our kids will be playing in the sand within a couple of years. If that's, if my intention is true and it will actually come to fruition. So I appreciate you talking to me about all this stuff. And we will, of course, queue up our third interview at some point in the future because there's always follow-ups to this. It never ends. We got to see what happens a couple months from now and, and keep going from there. So thanks for being here, Mike. And thanks for doing this chat with me. You're welcome. Talk to you later. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Trevor Turnbull Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please consider subscribing on my YouTube channel and on your favorite podcast platform and leave me a review. I'd love to hear from you. Now, until next time, remember, today is a beautiful day of opportunity. Trust that you're exactly where you're supposed to be right now. So be grateful, be curious, and be brave.